Hello, my name is Rebecca Kaufman, and welcome to this podcast produced by the International Monetary Fund. Africa suffers from some of the least developed infrastructure in the world. These deficits, from roads to electricity to water supply, aren't just a source of inconvenience for ordinary people and businesses. They also hold back growth and prosperity. The question is, how can these major projects be financed? especially where the needs of Africa are so great, extending well beyond infrastructure. Andrew Berg is with the IMF's research department. He sat down with me to help give further insight into the challenges facing infrastructure development in Africa. If you just go to the continent, you can see that there's a tremendous infrastructure deficit, and it affects all levels of society, and it affects all aspects. It affects health and education and growth. The biggest gap is, is probably in energy. 30 or 40 years ago, African energy, electrical energy output per person, kind of comparable or even more than East Asia and South Asian countries, like Bangladesh and countries like that. But it's been relatively flat, stagnant in Africa. And those countries in East Asia and South Asia now produce roughly three times the energy per capita that that Africa does. There's a lot of talk about how bad corruption is and red tape and how that holds back businesses and growth and, and prosperity. And that's true. But if you, ask, if you ask businesses to rank their problems, more often than not, they would rank inadequate infrastructure and inadequate energy as being more important than corruption and red tape and poor governance combined. Anderberg, what are the impacts of this inadequate infrastructure that you've described? You can see the, the costs of this in all sorts of ways. Companies in Africa often have to have their own generators because they can't get power. That can easily cost four times per kilowatt what it would cost a, a company in, in most countries in the world to produce. So that puts the countries in Africa at a big disadvantage. It isn't always about profits and growth. We observed in Malawi that one of the most important determinants of whether AIDS treatments programs worked well was whether people were close to a decent road. Not a great road, but a decent road in rural areas so that they could get to the clinics or the drugs could be delivered. That made a lot of difference to the effectiveness of the AIDS treatment. So along all sorts of dimensions, infrastructure is is a big problem. And despite the success we've seen in Africa in the last 10 or 15 years, is of course holding the continent back. How have these projects been financed in the past, and why haven't they been more successful? The main way infrastructure spending is financed right now is out of domestic resources of the country. You know, they raise taxes. And of course, there aren't a lot of resources to go around. Countries are poor. It's hard to raise taxes. Tax systems aren't very efficient often. And there are tons of competing demands. We're talking about infrastructure, but you could be talking to me or someone else tomorrow about AIDS or health or education or any number of things, and we could be talking about how incredibly important it is to spend on those things too. And then you could talk to someone else about how because of the inefficient tax systems, we have to make sure not to kind of kill off these growing private sectors with too much taxation. So at every direction you look, it's not easy to find the resources. There are other sources for financing public investment uh, in infrastructure. Can you talk about some of those sources in addition to, to domestic sources? So aid is the obvious one. Many countries get quite a lot of aid as a share of their own income. That does finance a fair amount of uh, infrastructure spending. 
this is kind of a gross generalization, but in the 1990s and 2000s, much of the focus was on delivering social services, health, and, and education. It was associated with a certain focus on human development. And I think, at least among many observers and many, perhaps many policymakers in Africa, there's been a sense in recent years that the pendulum swung too far and needed to swing back towards infrastructure. So we can hope and expect that more aid will be able to be devoted towards infrastructure. So that's one source. Another source is public-private partnerships, or basically private investment in public infrastructure. For example, you could have a, a project where a private company would build and manage a road, and the rate of return would come from the tolls on the road. Or it could be done for a port or for a power supply. And those have been growing. It's not the miracle cure. For example, in many places, it's hard to collect enough money from electricity tariffs to pay the costs. People are poor. There's maybe a tradition of non-payment. There are many complications, but that make it hard for a private company to make money doing electric generation. So that's two sources. A third source now available to countries is more commercial lending. They can borrow money on world capital markets. They can issue a bond where they're going to promise to pay back $100 million in 10 years with interest. In return, they get the money now, and they can use that for what they want. Can you talk a little bit about the cost and benefit of, of foreign borrowing, especially because it's now available to countries when it once wasn't? Let's say you want to build a big electrical power plant. If you use your tax revenues, domestic revenues, to do that, it's not just a financial issue. When you want to, say, import the generators for that power plant, you don't have any extra dollars. You have to find, the country has to find the dollars to import those generators. So they have to put resources to work exporting. They have to you know, take some of their crops and export. So in the end, those dollars that they're using to buy those generators are dollars that they cannot use to do whatever else they were going to do with those dollars, like import consumer goods or medicine. They have to divert these scarce resources into building that power plant. Now, if they get a loan from abroad, they get dollars from abroad that they can use to import the generators. And they can continue to keep importing their medicines or their radios or whatever goods they food that they need with those dollars. So they don't have to squeeze so much on the other things they would like to do to build that road. It really helps you avoid having to cut consumption or cut other important activities to build this power plant, which is what you want to do if you're already poor. That's the good thing about the loans. The danger is that you have to repay them. And you have to repay them whether the power plant works out or not. And so in a way, it raises the stakes. If the power plant doesn't work out, even if the power plant does work out, you're going to have to find the resources to repay the loan. One thing that in a way is obvious but in a way is not is that even really good projects can create a problem for repaying the loan. What I mean by that is suppose this power plant I'm talking about will allow all sorts of businesses to start. Maybe the, the tariffs won't cover the cost of the power plant, but there's going to be lots of new businesses doing all sorts of new things, creating wealth, exporting. It's a great project. The country will be much better off. But the, the loan is the government's to repay. So the government has to somehow collect either tariffs on the electricity or taxes on these new businesses to repay the loan. And we find that in, in many cases, the tax rates in countries are so low that even a project that pays back way more than the cost of the project itself, most of that benefit goes to people outside the government. And the government may have a hard time collecting that. So they may have to raise tax rates to repay the loan. And that's really hard to do. This is what we, we mean then when you say that 
more investment doesn't necessarily lead to to growth. I was actually worried about even a more optimistic situation in which the investment does lead to growth, but you still have to somehow translate that growth into the ability to repay the loan. But beyond that, the history of big increases in public investment do give one pause. We've been looking back, looking for kind of success stories of situations in which countries received, say, some windfall from an, a new uh, discovery of natural resources or, or for some other reason engaged in a new boom of public investment spending. And we wanted to see sort of how that translated into growth. And so far, it's been challenging to find those success stories. I think it's, it, there are many reasons why public investment spending may not translate into growth. It's hard to prioritize and build the right projects. It's hard to maintain them. You, know, you can build a beautiful plant, but if you don't keep it running, in the end, it, it doesn't help. That can become a situation in which you spend a lot of money, use a lot of resources, borrow money, and in the end may not have the productive, useful capital you thought you had. And that was Ander Berg of the IMF's Research Department. And if you enjoyed this, you can hear more podcasts on www.imf.org podcasts.